You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. So it's been uh, an interesting last couple of weeks here in our nation with these Supreme Court decisions. Uh, I want to talk about that today. I want us to talk uh, about what's going on, not just in our country as a result of that, but also in the church, not just central, really. I'm talking about church with a big C, the church in America primarily, Uh, because I think many of us are reeling, reeling from what has just occurred and wondering what it all means. Many evangelicals are claiming that the overturning of Roe Uh, is an answer to prayer, along with the overturning of Lemon versus Kurtzman, which means that public school teachers and coaches can use their classrooms and football fields as spaces to semi-proselytize, I guess you could say, but to engage in prayer, to lead students in prayer, which I actually thought prior to that I feel like I saw coaches doing that on football fields anyway, like all the time, or, you know, if not the head coach, it was an assistant coach, you know, after a college football game, or even a professional getting everybody together on the 50 yard line, whoever wanted to. Um, But in any event, uh, I want to speak directly to those two decisions uh, for a few minutes and then speak more broadly about what I think it all means. And then of course, open it up for dialogue and hear from, from, from you per use. Regarding the overturning of Lemon versus Kurtzman and the allowance of public school teachers and coaches to lead students in prayer on school grounds, let's be clear about what this really means and why evangelicals believe it's an answer to prayer. This basically permits Christian coaches and teachers to proselytize on school grounds. This is why this is why they're so excited about this. Um, one of the reasons, in my opinion. Um, At least that's the perception here by many evangelicals, that this will allow for a kind of quasi-proselytizing to take place, a promotion of Christianity uh, in those particular arenas. Uh, It'll allow evangelical teachers and coaches to essentially use uh, their profound influence over students' lives uh, for the cause of Christ. And... um, it allows them to essentially Christianize public spaces to uh, increase or raise the profile of Christianity in the public square. And I see these two things of equal importance to evangelicals. In fact, I think it's more about Christian nationalism than it is really about you know, proselytizing and winning converts on school grounds. It's more about this, this evangelical felt need to dominate the public square, to reclaim America as Christian, right? and to reinforce this idea that America is a Christian nation and God rules in our public schools, damn it. You know, that kind of mentality. Uh, I think prayer in schools is more about that than proselytizing per se, but the two are obviously related. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, I think should be understood in a similar way. It's a huge win in the culture war for the evangelical right which is pretty much redundant to say that (laughs) 
the evangelical right. Uh, even if it doesn't result in less abortions, this decision, and it probably won't result in less abortions, it doesn't matter. It is a tip of the cap. It is the court's you know, tipping of the cap to evangelicals and reinforces their belief that America is a Christian nation and belongs to Christianity and belong to our Christian European ancestors who were sent here by God to settle this nation, to displace its native inhabitants, and to essentially create this Christian nation and a beacon of God's kingdom they believe on earth and eschatologically the one that shall usher in the final days, the last things and the second coming and all of that is wrapped up in it. So from the, from the point of view of many evangelicals, the, the imposing of their so-called Christian beliefs and values through these court decisions uh, on everyone else, the imposing of all that on everyone else is both warranted in God's will. And, and the thing that's really feeding into this sense of triumph among evangelicals over the last week is something Clarence Thomas said. This is one of the Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas. He was one of the justices who voted in favor of overturning Roe. In his written remarks, he said that this decision opens the door, and rightfully so in his opinion, to overturn previous court decisions that protect people's access to contraceptives and same-sex marriage. Make no mistake about it, Justice Thomas and the other conservative justices in the court, perhaps with the exception of Roberts, appear to desire to do just that and thereby allow states to ban the use of certain contraceptives and ban same-sex marriage. In fact, just this week, the Attorney General of Texas, not just the DA of some some county in Texas. No, the Attorney General of Texas went on the record and stated that it's his intention to enforce Texas's old sodomy laws if, in fact, the Supreme Court overturns Oberfell versus Hodges, which, of course, Thomas already alluded to wanting to do. This means that if you get caught having gay sex in Texas, I don't know how that would happen, but it's happened to people. If you get caught, you face arrest and being charged with a misdemeanor and, and even jail time. J Jesse, are you raising your hand? You get caught in your house. Two men were caught in their home. That's the, that's the Oberfell versus Hodges case. In 1995? Yeah, yeah. But the, the fact that the, the, the Attorney General of Texas wants to enforce the old sodomy laws on the books. And, and he's not alone. Other, other states, other officials in other states in the Bible Belt have these trigger laws on the books. And these officials have hinted that they're going to follow suit. This, this is astonishing. I mean, maybe not. It's horrifying. And it's happening. And it's regressive, and it's demonstrative of just how powerful and influential the right is today, and specifically the evangelical right. But to be clear, I don't think most of the country is on board with this. I believe the polls show that even most of the country is not supportive of the overturning of Roe, 
And I don't think any of this would be happening if Trump had not been elected president and got to appoint three, three Supreme Court justices. And of course, he was elected by evangelicals for just that purpose. I don't know if you remember, but that was the big selling point on Trump. Yeah, he's this bore. He's he's this rogue. He's this corrupt guy. You know, I think a lot of evangelicals know exactly who he is, but they don't care because electing him, you know, the whole point was to hopefully get the Supreme Court justice appointed that would hopefully then overturn Roe and these other law and they're winning and they got it. I mean, they, they got what they paid for. They made a bet and it's paying off. This is where we're at. This is how we got here. It was about getting the power of the highest court in the land so that they could impose their religious beliefs and worldview on the rest of the nation. And so they're seeing the SCOTUS decisions of this last week or two as a literal answer to prayer. I mean, it, it is triumphant out there right now. They're taking this as proof, a kind of miracle, but as proof that God is truly on their side and is bringing America back to him and restoring America's greatness and identity as a Christian nation, owning the libs in the process, while the rest of America, meaning the majority of the country, feels like they're being held hostage to one degree or another by this surge of Christian nationalism and a Supreme Court that seems to share their regressive values. What does this all mean? Well, one of the things the last couple of weeks has made me realize is that this gulf between evangelicalism and the rest of the church is now so wide that it's really like evangelicals are practicing a different religion than the rest of us. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah. I have colleagues in ministry who are also academics, meaning teaching in seminaries and colleges, um, who believe that the SCOTUS decisions of the last couple of weeks will go down in history, will be remembered as kind of an inflection point in the church, the American church. Uh, because these decisions really highlight this disparity more than ever before, perhaps, between evangelicalism and the rest of Christianity in America, particularly the kind that we observe and practice. Evangelicalism has become so defined by and so beholden to nationalism, militarism, capitalism, homophobia, patriarchy, anti-blackness, anti-gun control. It has become so beholden and so identified with those politics of the right that it bears little resemblance to the Christ of the Gospels, who stood in solidarity with the poor and the powerless and preached a message of liberation and justice for the so-called least of these. Evangelicalism has become so distanced from that reading of Scripture, from that Jesus, that they are basically practicing a different religion than the rest of us. Their religion is basically a kind of Christian nationalism, a kind of civil religion of the far right, AKA the MAGA cult. Um, and this weekend, today actually, I mean, it's July 3rd, countless churches this morning across the United States is, are playing patriotic music, flag waving, 
you'll have mega churches this morning all saying the pledge of allegiance together and you know the red white and blue balloons will fall from the ceiling and you know the worship music will be dominated by you know the battle hymn of the republic you know that version of christianity is so prominent and it is so alien to us I mean, it's really a different religion at this point you know and it's everywhere in fact i'll tell you a quick little story a little piece of history about this church now this was this was a southern baptist church built in the 50s that essentially died and was transformed into this crazy thing <laughs> um but july 4th 2010 i had been on this i had for six months. And that year in 2010, July 4th fell on a Sunday. So it was this day, even though today's the third, you, you know how calendars work and I'll explain that. Um, I was standing right here during worship. Max, you were, you were, <laughs> you were leading, uh, you were here this long. Yeah. Uh, Max was leading us and I'm right here in the front pew. And one of the founding members of First Southern Baptist Church of Glendale, this church, a man in his 90s, World War II vet, nonetheless, a cantankerous old fellow, came forward and and um, confronted me, saying, "This is Max is leading the music." He came forward and stood right in front of me, where everybody could see him, and said, "Where's the American flag, Pastor?" Because there had an American flag up on the stage here when I arrived, and a week after I got here, in November of '09, I took it down and put it up in the attic because I didn't want to. At that point in my journey, I wasn't as progressive as I am now, but I was progressive enough to know I didn't want anything to do with Christian nationalism. I didn't want American flag in the sanctuary. I had taken it down without telling anybody because I didn't want to cause a fight. Well, anyway, this gentleman comes forward and says, "Where's the American flag?" And I said, uh, "I put it up in the attic." He's like, "You're going to go up there right now and get it," and I said to him, Gene, um, you need to follow me to the foyer. We're going to have this conversation at the foyer. And so I walked down this aisle, went to the foyer, and he followed me. And as soon as I got there, I turned around to talk with him. And he said, I want you to resign. And I was just like, I, I basically said, the gospel, the gospel is going to be preached this morning without the American flag present. And I had to come back into the sanctuary because I was due to be up on the drums at that point because I was still part of the worship team. Yes. Um, and the whole the rest of the service, Gene came back in, sat back down with his daughters. I was convinced he was going to interrupt the service and shout me down from the pulpit and demand that I go get the flag. But I mean, that was reality even in this congregation. When I got here, I mean, it, this stuff is everywhere. It permeates Christian culture in America. It is the history and the legacy of so many of our churches particularly Southern Baptist churches like this one, but so many of our churches. And that's, that's part of the story here. All right, so that was a nice little aside. Um, so the result of this distancing between evangelicalism and the rest of us has made us feel, I think, myself included, of course, like we have more in common with atheists, agnostics, mystics, and people from other religions who share our values on gay marriage, women's rights, reproductive rights, racial justice, etc. cetera. I, I feel like I have more in common with them than I do with my fellow Christians today in America. And, and this is why an increasing number of us think that evangelicalism is a different religion than the one we practice, and we're not wrong. That for me is one of the biggest takeaways of the last couple of weeks. 
But I want to be clear here because Christianity has never been just one thing. I think that's one of the big misunderstandings among many evangelicals. They think Christianity is, you know, just one thing. And it's what they're doing. No, Christianity has never been just one thing. Christianity has always been a lot of different things. This is why I think it's better to speak of Christianities, plural, rather than Christianity, singular. The Crusaders in the Middle Ages who slaughtered countless Muslims in the name of Christ, they were practicing a certain kind of Christianity. American slave owners in the South during the 18th and 19th century, they were practicing a certain kind of Christianity. The, uh, the evangelical MAGA cult today, Christian nationalists, they are practicing a certain kind of Christianity. Christianity, like all religions, has never been and never will be you know, just one thing. It's many things. Understanding this, I think, allows us to understand what religion in general really is. Christianity, like all religions, is kind of an empty vessel. You can fill it with whatever you want. You know, you can fill it with love and compassion and justice and honesty and humility. Or you can fill it with ignorance and nonsense and superstition and bigotry and hate and anti-science rhetoric and all that conspiracy theory nonsense. It's up to us. We have this power. Christianity is very malleable like that. We, you, you can find whatever you want to believe. You can find it in the Bible. You, you, you want to find scriptures that back up bigotry and ignorance and hate? You can find that. Scriptures that back up slavery, you can find that. Scriptures that subjugate women, you can find that. Or you can find their complete opposite. It's up to us. Christianity, like all religions, is very malleable. It's an empty vessel. You can fill it with whatever you want, practically. Not practically, really. Understanding this is so important because it makes us critically reflect on who we are, what kind of God we believe in, and what kind of religion we want to practice, what kind of spirituality we want to practice. It gives us the power to decide these things. So the way I look at it is evangelicals are, they absolutely are practicing a kind of Christianity. And so are we. But we might as well be practicing completely different religions because of the disparities between us. And I'll go further than that. I'll say that I think we're practicing a Christianity more in line with the Jesus we actually find in the Gospels. But the bottom line is we're both practicing a religion in line with our values and worldview and choosing how to interpret Scripture accordingly. We're both doing that. We're both cherry-picking, and maybe the real difference between conservatives and progressives is really that, that we can admit that, <laughs> and they can't. They, they believe they're not really cherry-picking or interpreting Scripture to fit their values and their worldview. They think that the Bible interprets itself. They're not even interpret. You, you hear this a lot. We don't interpret the Bible. We just read it. The Bible says what it says, and we just go with it. We're not, we're not cherry picking anything when we believe what we believe about this or that, right? Maybe the real difference between conservative and progressives is that we can admit it, that we're making conscious decisions about scripture and about what kind of God we want to believe in and what kind of religion we want to practice. 
because being able to admit that, being able to admit that is really powerful. It is inherently deconstructive because it means that ultimately we're responsible for what kind of religion we want to engage in, or that God and theology is ultimately up to us. Being able to admit that is inherently deconstructive and empowering and self-aware, which of course makes us and our version of Christianity, I believe, more healthy. How could it not be? But back to this idea that evangelicals are practicing a different religion than us. This fact, I think, is the reason why so many progressive Christians today are just dropping the name Christian altogether. And some of those even here do. Some of you refuse to call yourself a Christian anymore because, frankly, that word has been so corrupted. It comes loaded with so much baggage you just don't want to be associated with anymore. And I completely understand and support that decision. Sometimes I'm asked by both evangelicals and ex-evangelicals or both conservatives or progressive Christians, I'm asked, why do you still call yourself a Christian? <laughs> I mean, seeing as how much you've changed and deconstructed, what's the point? Why do you still call yourself a Christian? Anybody ever ask that question? Anybody ever ask you that? Yeah. And the answer I like to give is this, because Christianity is too important of an idea to surrender to the fundamentalists. Maze, Maze back there like this. Christianity is too important of an idea to surrender to the fundamentalists. They can't have it. Not all to themselves. They hijacked it and we're taking it back, which is actually something I get from uh, Slavoj Žižek, uh, a, a Slovenian philosopher today and an, an avowed Christian atheist, he calls himself. People often ask him, why do, why do you still call yourself a Christian at all? And he puts it a bit stronger. He says this, because Christianity is too important of an idea to surrender to the fundamentalists. Fuck them. They can't have it. They hijacked it, and we're taking it back. I love that. The question, of course, becomes, what about Christianity is such an important idea that it's worth fighting for? Well, there's a lot of important ideas in there. I think, this is my, my opinion, not just that Jesus' teachings on liberation and justice for the oppressed, yes, that's very important, absolutely, but Jesus' deconstruction of his religion for the sake of exposing the religion hidden within his religion, Jesus shows us that any religion worth its salt is ultimately about love and justice and compassion and that which enhances human well-being. To practice love and care for the so-called least of these is pure and undefiled religion, according to James, who actually got that from Jesus. That's one of the other important ideas that I think Christianity gives us. It's about deconstructing religion for the sake of exposing the religion hidden within our religion. But I think Christianity is an important idea for other reasons, too. I think the cross and this idea of the crucifixion and the death of God is an incredibly important idea, liberating idea. I think Christianity teaches us in the story of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and Pentecost, this idea that God is not really somewhere on high, but God is down below. God has been poured out 
completely into this world as a Holy Spirit that now dwells in us human beings and in the fabric of our lives and in things like love and compassion and justice itself. This to me is the underlying meaning of the gospel. There is no God on high. God has been completely poured out into the world through the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and Pentecost, and God now dwells as the spirit of beloved community itself among us as we live into that divine presence of love and compassion and justice and care for the least of these. God is here. God is now in the form of your neighbor in need, in the very fabric of life itself, in the joys and the sorrows of life. Here is God right here, right now. That's an important Christian idea worth fighting for, I think. In this so-called radical theology, there is no supreme being on high. There is no supreme being on high in this radical theology of the cross. There is only the so-called weak and crucified God who meets us in our brokenness, shares in our sufferings, and calls us to do likewise with each other and in there, and only in that, is God made real in the world. Is God resurrected in the world? This is real power. The power of a crucified God. This is real power. This is healing. This is true faith. This is salvation. This is reconciliation. This is redemption. And abundant life, I believe. That's my understanding of the gospel and why I think Christianity is such an important idea worth fighting for. This is why I'm still a Christian. This is why I still own the name Christian. It's too important of an idea to let go of, in my opinion. It's worth fighting for. And this last couple of weeks, with all that's happened, with the shitstorm that's come down, has reminded me of this. Times like this have a kind of clarifying effect, I think. Times like this make us take stock and decide what we really believe, who we really are, and where we really stand. That's my talk for this morning. <laughs> um, and with that, we're going to enter into our time of communion, the Lord's Supper. And then we'll have our dialogue. And as we receive this sacrament, I want you to know that the reason why we still do this here every week at Central, there's many reasons. But the reasons I just gave you for why I'm still a Christian is why I still believe this holy sacrament, this Christian tradition is so important to engage in. Everything I just said about the gospel, I think, is embodied in this practice, this timeless Christian tradition. Everything I just explained, I think, is symbolized here. So as we partake this morning, let us meditate on that as Max leads us in song. Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
Hello, hello. Can you hear me? There you go. Yeah, maybe can you take your mask down just because it's hard to understand when. Cool. Uh, I could talk for like an hour about all the things that I'm feeling. But... Whoa. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, he, you turned it up. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. <laughs> uh, but the one that I. Oh, forget this, Mike. Take take mine. Take mine. No, no, no. Take because the people online can't hear you otherwise, and then the, nobody can hear you on the podcast. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, the only one I wanted to mention was that I've been feeling very gaslit, I guess, lately, uh, where I'm having trouble. Um, I don't know exactly what the words are, but like rationalizing where I am now and not feeling like um, I'm the one that's moved um, and that it's um, uh, a lot of the, some of the things that I've had to deal with are conversations I've had with family, friends, whatever is uh, my fault, that I'm the one who's the heathen that's uh, abandoned um, the way that things are supposed to be, and uh, that I'm uh, the bad person for that. Um, and, you know, like logical brain says one thing, but maybe, and this is really loud, by the way, um, I'm trying to back it off. You're good. But feeling like uh, I'm, yeah, like I'm the one that's wrong. And even though like my rational side, you know, sticks up for myself and what I think my, maybe my past or my evangelical side or whatever still really stabs me with I'm the one who's uh, making a mistake and that I'm the one who's gone off the rails. Yeah, I hear you, man. And that because of the innate anxieties, I feel like that were planted into us at a young age, like, you know, you need to come back to the Lord. All, you know, there's always this, I feel the same way as what I'm saying. And it's partly like this weird latent fear sometimes that like, maybe I am going to hell still. Like it's, I've been so programmed with that, that it gives me self-doubt. Um, and and it, again, it's like gas, it's gaslighting, you know? Yeah. No, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I'll always be, well, we will always be wrestling with those feelings of self-doubt about now. I mean, we're, we're choosing literally like love and compassion over, nationalism and patriarchy and homophobia and racism like why are we feeling any self-doubt about that but it's crazy yeah thank you for sharing that um anybody want to react to that or yeah jesse did you raise your hand yeah can you pass the mic back there it's not quite a reaction because i think you know um that's valid like all of the coercion that we spent our whole lives if we grew up in evangelicalism being told 
make sense. Um, and we wanted to share an antidote. Um, so I had a conversation with my dad on Monday. Um, and my dad is like evangelical to the hilt, um, gets kicked out of a lot of places because he is an iconoclast who if he was more progressive and less evangelical, I think would be a lot better served. But um, we had a conversation about the Supreme Court cases that had been decided up until that point, which is usually a space for like a lot of violence to each other. Um, and, you know, during it, I, I was able to say, oh, well, did you know that if I get pregnant again and go into Catholic hospital and there's a heartbeat, even though the fetus isn't viable, that I will be allowed to bleed out and die? Is that, is that caring? And he's like, I didn't know that. And then we had a conversation about the fact that my mom had a DNC after her miscarriage and that that's abortion care. And he didn't know that. And so it allowed us to have this conversation about how much evangelicalism has hid the reality of care and medical science and all of this stuff and the implications, like the thing that I kept hitting with him was, you know, I'm, I'm radically for abortion having been pregnant three times and all the things that it encompasses. But that's not the main issue with Roe for me. The main issue for me is the violation of individual privacy and autonomy and the domino effect that we talked about, right? That it overturns so much more legislation. And that, I think that's a thing that, and he was able to like acknowledge what I was saying, which was amazing. Even in that moment, he probably will go back and disregard it. But in that moment, he was able to acknowledge it. And I think that's the thing that freaks, that scares me or makes me the most sad beyond all the other trauma is the fact that there has been a willful like subterfuge of reality that's been propagated and that even the people who are championing Roe, like one of my best friends, who's like my sister, do not understand the implications of that decision for them. And so they're only conditioned to think, oh, this is going to save lives, whatever. And we're already seeing it not save lives, but they don't understand the implication to their own privacy and body autonomy. And that disconnect, I think, is the saddest thing because we're being ruled by a 14% minority who has a bunch of powerful people who support it. But the reality is that evangelicals who support these decisions are really only 14% of the population. And that's, and they don't know their history and they don't know, you know, when I told my dad that Roe v. Wade is based, like the evangelical response to Roe v. Wade is based on segregationist ideas. He's like, well, I'm not a segregationist. And I'm like, well, you don't know your history. And there's a reason you don't know your history. So. Yeah, no, you. I think you hit on something really important that this entire dialogue in, in the evangelical side of the church is predicated ultimately on anti-intellectualism, uh, uh, an aversion to expertise. Anybody who's actually an expert, like a historian or theologian, they, they immediately um, react to that with 
uh, with, with contempt and disdain because, because anybody coming out of the academy, any kind of intellectual, any kind of critical theory is immediately labeled as leftist propaganda and something that is ultimately a threat to faith. And there, you can't, it's an epistemology of ignorance. It literally is an epist, it is about, it, it is about, it is, it is the revering of ignorance. You, what do you do with that? I mean, you, there's an old, you know, that state saying, pardon me, you can't fix stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, sorry to be a little crass, but you get what I mean, right? Like, how do you, you, there's nothing you can do with that. Well, it's, it's ironic because pre- Take down your mask again, it's just, it's hard to understand. It's ironic because pre the loss of um, Scopes, right? This, this leads back to Scopes. Scopes is one of the instigators of this evangelical movement. Pre-Scopes- Scopes monkey trial. The for those Scopes are... monkey trial in the 1920s. Pre-Scopes, evangelicals were for science. Most evangelicals were for science. Most evangelicals were for intellectualism. And then when they win scopes, but lose it culturally, that's when we see the rise of what we have as evangelicals who are rebranded fundamentalists, who want to gain back that cultural power. And, and we're seeing that revision again, right? But they, they don't acknowledge, what they don't acknowledge is that we already live in a culture that's so quantified by Christianity and so contoured by Christianity. Like, we don't have a definition of religion in the US, even though so much of our stuff is geared around freedom of religion outside of an IRS definition of a 501c3. That is the only legal definition of what is or isn't a religion. And so much of how religion in the Supreme Court has been defined over the history of the US is based on a Protestant white male understanding of religion, but we don't teach that. We don't talk about our history as a country and we don't talk about specifically the history of Christianity unless you're going and doing a degree in religious studies, unless you're doing a degree in history. Um, we culturally are willfully ignorant about so much. Um, one last thing, several of the activists that I've seen have really talked about using things like the Fugitive Slave Act and the resistance to that and the Northern resistance to that as a template for how we're gonna engage with Roe v. Wade because the reason the Fugitive, the Fugitive Slave Act failed in so many ways is the North didn't wanna prosecute and didn't wanna be a part of that legal process. And so that's a template for states like California setting up, we are not gonna be a part of Texas's prosecuting of people. And we're already seeing stuff like that, along with the fact that the Texas AG is under investigation by his own party for illegal activities. So there's a scope of things happening in this whirlwind. Yeah, thank you for those remarks. Um, Max, I remember you mentioning something she said reminded me, something you said to me two weeks ago that you know, Christianity in America prior to the 20th century was frankly a lot more like what we've embraced here, this kind of social justice Christianity. And it became labeled as like weak and effeminate around the middle of the 20th century and communist by the rise of Christian nationalism and this, this, this kind of John Wayne, to use Christian Cobes do mass, but it's kind of John Wayne picture of Christianity, which is a way of dealing with the innate tensions of, you know, but the potential of nuclear war, communism, you know, um, 
you know, those, those kinds of things. And, and more than that, racism as well. Um, you know, the, the rise of the civil rights movement and all that, <clears throat> how that threw the culture into a, a, you know, and challenged white male supremacy. But prior to all of that, Christianity America, <laughs> Jason, you know, you're, you, in a sense, we haven't moved that far from, you know, what essentially was 19th century Christianity, you know, um, the focus on social justice and, and social issues and, you know, early 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that lack of historical understanding is what damns us. Uh, and, and oh, it's quite intentional. And, and, and now we're seeing the push to remove any kind of, you know, race talk in schools or race education, you know, no, no, nothing. I'm sure they talk, still talk about chattel slavery to some degree, but yeah. Um, sorry, did you want to? Yeah. 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 Um, other remarks this morning? Hey, Aaron, it's Emily. Oh, sorry, Randy, you want to go ahead? No, you're good. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, so I would agree with the whole gas lit thing as well. Um, I feel like if you have a sort of logical um, feeling about Roe versus Wade, um, based on statistics and real life situations, you're all of a sudden pro murdering babies. And it's just, it's really ridiculous that, I mean, segueing into the fact that that's exactly right with Christians is like, they are the easily, they are the most easily coerced and brainwashed because they don't do any of their own research. They don't look into historical context. They don't, there's no education and they are, they believe what they're told. And we're being told by people who are not mentally stable enough in their religion and their lives to be preaching what people should and shouldn't be doing. Um, it's maddening because I'm over here like, wait, but I'm using my brain and thinking logically and thinking critically. And you guys are completely ignoring it based on nothing. You have no argument at all whatsoever. Um, also my sister and my brother-in-law here for the first time today, zooming in from Simi Valley, good old Simi Valley. Uh, my brother-in-law wanted me to say that the, uh, the, those Christians justify their worldview through religion. Religion doesn't justify their worldview. They are racist, hate-filled Fs first, and they hide behind their interpretation of religion, which, Precisely. yeah, that's exactly it. So. Great. Yeah, really good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, welcome to your family members joining us from Simi Valley. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, other remarks, comments? Hey, Aaron. Hey, yeah, who's that? It's Randy. Hey, Randy. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick moment to say how much I appreciate you and Central Avenue Church and to have a progressive place like this to come and hear things like this because I don't think there's a lot of you around in the U.S. <laughs> and I just wanted to say how much I appreciate and love you. Oh, thanks, Randy. Uh -oh. How, are you, how are you feeling, by the way? I'm you doing well. I'm 100%. Yeah, I got over okay, good. quickly. You just got yeah. over COVID, right? Yeah. For the yeah. second time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm all good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Randy. Anybody else this morning? Oh, man, it's exhausting. That's the idea. Yeah. All right, well, let's, um, 
I've got a little benediction I want us to um, say together here this morning uh, in closing, rather than just having me say, go in peace and have the computer say, recording has stopped. Um, so let's say this together. I just wrote this this week. Um, as we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of, the love, path of love, honesty, honesty and, humility. and humility. We dedicate, we dedicate ourselves, ourselves as, Christ did, as Christ did to the cause of, the justice, cause of justice and the courageous, and the courageous embrace, embrace of this of life, this, life this, world, this world, and each other. And each other. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great week and um, holiday, and we'll see you again next Sunday. Thanks, Aaron. Have a great fourth. Thank <laughs> you.